Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, the Thursday edition. Trey Wallace joins us in 20 minutes. Armando Salguero from OutKick.com as well. He will be with us in hour number two, as will Michael McHenry. We'll talk World Series, which gets underway tomorrow. Astros taking on the Phillies. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get it going today. I'm ready. Let's fire it off. This is going to be a big show. We're going. We're moving. Positive directions right now. The Chiefs have traded for uh, Kadarius Toney. From the New York Giants. So that means Odell Beckham Jr. and Brandon Cooks are likely not going to be with Kansas City. The Chiefs were linked to both of them as well. And we, we certainly know Green Bay's in the mix, uh, the Rams, the Bills, the, the usual suspects, the teams that feel like they can win a Super Bowl are making moves the same way other teams made moves at wide receiver this offseason. This is the first... Uh really good team giving somebody up also the giants and tony have been like oil and water um he doesn't fit the culture that brian dayball has brought there which has been very very successful there have been videos uh i don't know if you guys have seen these i think last week uh Kadarius tony and who's the other wide receiver that they're miserable with uh, elijah moore uh, no that's the jets Galladay, oh, Galladay. Yeah. yeah, the video from the from the end of the field the Giants beat reporters could watch practice of was highlighting these two guys running sprints down at the other end of the field where they're just not a part of things. Um, and they've decided that it's not going to work with Tony. All they've of a sudden he's healthy. For him. And we'll see, uh, you know, if Andy Reid is famous for making guys fit who haven't fit somewhere else. We'll see if this is yet another one of those guys or if he's sour on everything. Well, you know, the Mahomes is playing out of his mind right now, but he doesn't have a ton of touchdown passes to wide receivers within that offense. And I, I do think they're thinking, well, we don't miss Tyreek Hill right now. And they don't. Their numbers are incredible. I think in the postseason... I think they're going to miss him. They're, they're looking for a player to step up and, you know, be a go-to guy. And he was that player. If you're shutting down Kelsey, you had Tyreek Hill and vice versa. And now they add to the arsenal in case of injury, and, and, and they're gearing up for the playoffs. Look, I think they've done a nice job. Uh, Valdez Scantling and, and Juju Smith-Schuster are good players. They had a good plan in terms of how um, their, their draft pick to uh, Sky, Sky, Sky Moore. Moore. That's a nice three-pack of players. But any situation where you say, here's a superstar versus a committee of, of three to replace the superstar, you want the superstar end of things always. And I think in the end, Kansas City, you know, could could go win the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. But if and when they don't, I think a lot of fans and media types will say, should have kept Tyreek Hill. Wasn't anything broken with with Tyreek Hill outside of him 
wanting more money and making making more noise. You always want the superstar. If you could get the singular production from one spot, why spread it out to three spots or now four spots conceivably? No, this is not the Chiefs going for it to me. This is just a total flyer. Kadarius Tony's oh, been yeah. nothing. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, this, this, this is a deal, rehabilitation. This deal we in can get a lot more of is nothing that could be something if he delivers on whatever potentially had when they drafted him originally, but he hasn't shown any of that. No, they could turn him into something, they think. Yeah, and that, if they turn him into thinking. something, They've it's a nice They've got a player thing. on his rookie contract but, who fits within their right. salary cap. But right yeah. And also, what they yeah, do. again, but it's not, a, I'm not looking at that and saying, boy, the Chiefs are really loading up. No, it's not Christian They're McCaffrey. They're taking a flyer on a guy they see that has some talent that hasn't delivered on it yet, and they think with our offense, he might do something. But what it does, it sets the table for the team that's going to go for it <laughs> with one of these other guys. Yeah. Uh, that's what, more than anything. Yeah, the Chiefs are next? already squarely in the mix, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Second best team in the AFC, One pretty of the few. clearly. Well, but every team that's rumored for all these guys are squarely in the mix. Except yes. for Green Bay. Yeah, but I mean, I would still say they're a team in the mix, given their <laughs> recent history. And but, the lack and of that they're depth three at the and top. Four, and and three and four, lost three, and, and now they head to Buffalo. Yeah. What they're, are the Rams? They're bad. Uh, uh, same thing. Yeah, three and four. So, I mean, how are they in the mix and not the Packers? Well, because of... Trending. Uh, we look at their division. Right now, the Minnesota Vikings are running away with it. In, the, in that division, the Seahawks are the current leader. More than one team game. can make it out of a division to the playoffs. By a game, though. I'm, I'm saying, still taking the Packers to make the playoffs. I'll, I will go on a limb and say that right now. But in that division, they may not win the division because they've fallen behind to that extent, but I consider both teams right now not very good, but with the potential to figure it out and be very good. Packers, need to, Packers need to start to turn the boat. Rams surely could use some outside help, but they also have it a guy is, uh, in-house that they could figure out in Allen Robinson, which they need to get right. moving on. It, it, it is amazing, though, how, how much freak-out goes on in the, in the National Football League media core whenever a team starts slow. The Kansas City Chiefs at this time last year were 3-4. and four, Yep. And they were a game away from the Super Bowl. But, so. uh, point well taken, Hutt, but it's usually one team that you see dig out of that. There are so many NFL teams in that circumstance but, right now. Like, are we going to see but every, five that's teams the point, come from three like, and four? We're, we're singular. Like, we look at the Green Bay Packers. There are 12 Packers right now, roster-wise and, and uh, record-wise, in the NFL. And, and that, that's right, why But they a all chance. feel like they're going to be nine but, and but, eight. But here's the point, though. The Packers are going to make a move. Are the Tennessee Titans going to make a move? Probably. I don't feel like they will. And they're, they're roughly, I mean, they're... But they're going to win their division. Like, I, I we guess. know what their issue is, but the Titans are winning their division. I, mean, I feel a lot more comfortable if they win this weekend in, in declaring that and saying it for sure. But yeah, I mean, they should. Uh, uh, they got the benefit of three bad teams in well, their division. I, I'm looking at the Packers the same way I would view through the lens of the Titans. Ryan Tannehill is likely not the quarterback here next year. And Aaron Rodgers, like it or not, with his restructured contract, this is the year. If you're going to do something, you're paying him $50 million. They're paying Ryan Tannehill 30. This is the year to make a move. If you're going, especially with the, the current landscape, if the Chiefs get to play the Bills in the playoffs and you avoid them, that's one of the two teams that are going to be eliminated. And point, my point is, there are certain teams that are very average right now that feel like they're still in the mix. And we will see other teams that are able to win one way. And I don't view the Packers' offense in that way. I think they have two good running backs. They've got Aaron Rodgers. And he's now saying that they want he, he needs another wide receiver. From the Titans' angle, listen, I, I feel the same way you do. I think if they were further along at knowing that Tannehill wasn't their guy next year, which I don't think they are, um, 
then they would be more prone to say, well, we're going to have a young quarterback next year. He's going to be cheaper so we can go out and make a move for a more expensive receiver because our finances are going to allow for that. But I don't think they're at a point where they know what they're going to do with quarterback no, next think- year. So there's a potential for a Ryan Tannehill extension in their head, which sets their finances up a certain way. I think that given the start this year, the, the move with A.J. Brown this offseason, um, given the finish last year and the home loss to Cincinnati, I think John Robinson will never say this, but he's resigned himself to let's just make the playoffs. Right. And one year we'll get consistently. Yeah, not even so that. So why what are they because doing? Because if they if they I mean if they really wanted well, they to did make it a in move in 2019. If Jerry Judy who's being discussed, I mean, go get that guy. If you want to change uh, your he, team. And he is. That to me that's one guy who could possibly change this offense. But but in a window not to the where, level AJ Brown could have if he was still here, but Jerry yeah, Judy could. I, I think you will see through a lens of how certain GMs and head coaches view things. Because I mean the the window with Tannehill and Henry, it's closing. Yes. The lifespan of their that this era is closing. Same for Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. And it's time to I mean the Titans have the worst wide receiving core top to bottom in the National Football League. And they're not going to make a move. And look, you want to talk about record that. is kind of the problem here. Yeah, you want to talk about them not making a move, and we're big on alphas and betas. <clears throat> and I tweeted this out right before the show started when when the clock allows for tweets from Titans practice. Mason Kinsey, uh, who's wearing number fifteen today because he's Nico Collins at practice, rep- representing one of the Texans receivers. Mason Kinsey's a practice squad Titans wide receiver. He's front of the line at Titans receiver drills today. Okay? Right. I I tend to read too much stuff into this. I wrote a piece about it during the preseason. How is Robert Woods or at least Nick Westbrook-Akina not at the front of the line setting the pace for a bad group of Titans wide receivers? That says something to me. That a practice squad wide receiver is at the head of the line for you today? What, what is that? It tells me they're not very good. It tells me they don't have a... a I mean, A.J. Brown wasn't going to let yeah. practice squad or go up but, in front I mean, of him. But think about Robert Linda. Woods was always, you're taking a chance on a guy that's got an injury history. But how is he not going first? I mean, I get what you're saying, Paul, but if you're going into any season relying on Nick Westbrook-Akina to lead in, in drills and be a guy, it's just not going to happen. The guy's Still, a fourth NFL wide receiver uh, uh, at best. Uh, yeah, three and a half. But, I mean, he's significantly better than Mason Kinsey, who we don't know is on the roster on Sunday. Well, I mean, go down. the. If you want to talk just a snapshot, and this is happening with a lot of teams, but not to this extent, the Titans, I mean, Caleb Farley not playing. I mean, right. go down the list of guys that should be impact players. And they're way better without him. That are getting passed up by dudes who – Maybe should barely be on a practice squad yeah. somewhere. They moved the safety to nickel and moved a, a late uh, practice squad uh, signee from Pittsburgh to safety and, and won with it. It was a very effective move. But they're having to make moves like that because <laughs> they I'm, drafted Caleb Farley I, in the first round. I will get to this in the, uh, in the one big thing about every NFL game later. The, the view of the AFC is vastly different than the NFC based on the quarterback position. And I've got some numbers to back this up on how organizations are viewing things. But in the, in the current AFC landscape, the Bills, the Chiefs, the, the Chargers are 4-3, and three, and they have not been good. Uh, the Ravens are 4-3, and three, and they haven't been able to close out games. The Bengals are coming now after a, a slow start. They're now 4-3 and three as well. 
And uh, the Jets have suffered some injuries, but they're 5-2, and two, a game ahead of the Dolphins, who just got their quarterback back. And the Bills are coming off a of bye week hosting the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football. And then you look at the landscape of the NFC as the, dra- the trade deadline, which has been busy this week. Um, you know, the Eagles at 6-0, and oh, Giants and Cowboys. I mean, it's conceivable three teams right there get in, in the playoffs out of the NFC East. In the West, I mean, everybody's within a game with the Seahawks, Rams, 49ers, Cardinals. The Packers are viewing this as if their division is a one-team division for the postseason, based on the East and the West. And the fact that they're, you know... Yeah, they got to go get The 49ers should be better. And uh, the Seahawks are the surprise team. And the Rams are going to try to make a move the same way that the 49ers did and that the Packers are trying to do. And the, the shame of it for the Packers, if you will... Uh, looking at it from Packers angle is like you're saying they're going to endure a loss here before they can start to turn things around. I mean, I don't know who's believing that the Packers are going to Buffalo and going to solve their problems against the best team in the AFC. It's been Second a while since they've football. been this big of an underdog for sure. They're like 11 and a half, 12 point underdogs right now. I think I've seen 12 and a half maybe. And that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, I have no beef with that. I just hate how it, we're, it, all these deals that are going to be made, uh, the Chiefs getting someone, the Bills will get someone, Eagles getting the teams that are the elite teams are seemingly the only ones in the mix right? most of the times, right? And I understand that. It makes sense. But I do think what we were talking about earlier, the, the middle bubble is so big this year that one of those teams or two will make a run. Not just get in the playoffs, but do something. Well, I'll applaud one I feel like one of those three and four teams is going to do something. I'll applaud one team for being realistic. The Bears were coming off a very good win where they maybe discovered some sort of identity, better use of Justin Fields, all of that. And they didn't look at themselves and think, you know what? We're in this. They dealt Robert Quinn anyway for, what, a fourth? They know who they are, what they are, where they are in terms of stuff. And they're not fooling themselves because of the standings to think, you know what? Because we're a couple games out here, we're going to contend and we should hang on to Robert Quinn. They were honest with themselves. I, I applaud them for that. Well, and they didn't trade, you know, they didn't trade Ro- Roquan Smith, right? They, Who wanted was, out, right? He wanted out. They didn't trade him. They kept him around, but they traded last year Khalil Mack at the same time frame. So, um, you know, the new, the new management there is flipping things for picks. And he admitted... Uh, it was a hard thing to do. Ryan Pales, he, he admitted, like, hey, this is, yeah, I, I didn't want to do this. It sucks because he's hard a great player. Hard to look player. at the locker room. 18 and a half sacks last year, but this is better for the organization long term. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick360. Coming up, uh, Trey Wallace joins us. Time to get into the SEC news and notes of the week, and we will preview the two big games in the Southeastern Conference, Cocktail Party, and of course, the game in Knoxville. Tennessee hosting Kentucky. Outkick 360, excited to partner with Aurora Nutriscience, a trusted partner that keeps us here mentally sharp and healthy. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. VitalifeScience.com is the website, V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com. It's where you can see more information. Our Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed, but here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes, and that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, glutathione, and more. You can as well. You can see everything they have to offer. VitalifeScience.com. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com is the website. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitalifeScience.com. 
You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Another SEC weekend is upon us. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network live from 6th and Peabody, Nashville, Tennessee, is where you can find us daily with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. You can find Trey Wallace daily at Outkick.com. It covers the SEC for Outkick. Trey, good to see you, man, and some good games on tap. We've got the cocktail party with Georgia and Florida and Jacksonville, Tennessee hosting Kentucky at Neyland, and in between, some interesting matchups based on where teams are are currently slotted across standings. Yeah, I'm very interested in the weekend, Jonathan, see how this plays out. A lot of games that kind of catch my eye, including that Ole Miss-Texas A&M game, uh, a battle of teams coming off a loss. Um, you know, and then it's, you know, you would think in years past it would probably be headlined by Georgia-Florida, but it seems like it's headlined by the night game uh, between Tennessee and Kentucky, which is – Crazy when I was looking at ticket prices last night compared to like Penn State, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida. It's costing three times as much to get in the needle on Saturday night, which just blows my mind. Can you take us through the Jalen McCullough story where the other side is out and he's cleared to play? Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'm going to try to just break this down and you guys bear with me and we'll see where we get. So Jalen McCullough was arrested. We all know that. Arrested on aggravated assault, felony charge. Um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Last week, the Tennessee Student Conduct Board. So the Tennessee Conduct Board that all athletes or students have to go through. If any criminal case comes up, they cleared Jalen McCullough of any wrongdoing. Saying, okay, you're good to go. You can go to practices. You can do whatever, whatever you want. So... Okay, now let's fast forward to yesterday. Yesterday on, I don't even know what days it is, Wednesday, Jalen McCullough's attorney filed motions uh, in the court system laying out their case for Jalen McCullough, giving Jalen McCullough's side of the story, but also giving the witnesses, which are Warren Burrell, Tennessee cornerback, and also the girlfriend of Jalen McCullough. Also on Wednesday, there is a different, and this is where people are missing this, there is a different review board compared to the student conduct board. There is an independent review board that goes over the case that looked at the motion that was filed by Jenna McCullough's attorney and decided, okay, we're looking at this. We, we look at the facts presented here. We believe Jalen McCullough's side of the story pretty much is, is, is what they're saying. So what they did was they cleared Jalen McCullough, which now gives him the opportunity to suit up on Saturday, run through the tee, play if Josh Eiple wants him to play or if he can with his hand injury, whatnot. And... There is still criminal charges out there, but what it, 
and, and what this has done, guys, is it's pretty much put the ball in the University of Tennessee's court. So they've cleared him. They're saying he's good. So if anything else comes up down the line or anything like that, Tennessee's going to be the one, the university, with egg on their face. So they're going to bat for Jalen McCullough, which is why when I broke the story this morning, I said that he was cleared from the university side in the independent review. Notice I didn't say anything in the story about the, the, the student conduct board. We reported that last week. People are missing that there are two different things and it's not the same form. Hope it, I explained that well enough. Yeah, no, that was good. good. Is there still a rift between the football program and Knoxville PD? Because I'm reading the account of what happened and it's just very odd to me that someone was arrested for a felony while someone was giving their report holding a handle of vodka and stumbling around as to what happened and they took that side and the sober person who just wanted an attorney and wasn't going to give their statement to the cops until he had an attorney, was uh, arrested for a felony in, in this case? Is this youth normal police work on a case like this? I'm reading your report, Trey, and I'm thinking, how the heck was he arrested if this was the circumstances around what was being claimed happened? According to sources that I've spoken with in the situation, um, that is not in my report today, Jalen McCullough, McCullough came back to the scene, he was not questioned, not asked anything regarding what he, the, the police didn't come up to him and say, hey, man, what happened here? Like, did you get in a fight here? Did you punch me? No. I've been told the body cam footage will show that Jalen McCullough was immediately placed in handcuffs when he came back to the scene, put in the back of a cop car. After that, a little bit down the road during the incident, while they're questioning, uh, I think body camera footage will show that police officers finally Googled Jalen McCullough's name and realized he was a Tennessee football player. That's when things changed a little bit. Um, when it came to, you know, not giving preferential treatment, but also realizing maybe we handled this in the wrong way and we thought we were just going to maybe get off by doing it this way. Like, I don't know. I can't say what police are saying, but I can say talking to multiple sources about this, um, Jalen McCullough was immediately read his Miranda rights. So I wouldn't talk to the police either. I'd wait till I get in touch with the attorney to talk, which is exactly what they did when they went to the police department two days later, along with the witnesses to give their statements. And, and I'm, by the way, I just want to add this. We're just putting out both sides of the story here uh, because it's our, you know, our duty to do that. But looking at some of the stuff that is out there, it is kind of surprising to me, you know, if body camera footage is showing the guy holding a, a pint of vodka and he's slurring his speech and stumbling around, why police didn't just ask Jalen McCullough for his side of things? It's just, it's kind of mind-blowing a little bit. Where's the matchup that Kentucky wins on Saturday? Secondary. I think if, if, I th- I think if, if, if Levis goes deep, Jonathan, and they try to test Tennessee, I think that's where they could potentially get them. Now, I, I do think that Tennessee will have a few players back, uh, one of them being Jalen McCullough, if he can go uh, with his hand. But I, I think that that's what they have. And here's what Kentucky's going to do. K- 
Kentucky's not going to play how Alabama did on defense in the secondary, meaning they're not going to give Tennessee man-on-man and just let them get beat down the field. Kentucky's smart enough. Mark Stoops is smart enough that, you know, I, I don't know, they're going to drop back in coverage a little bit. I don't know, maybe play a two-man high and, and see what you get out of it. But they're going to try to keep Tennessee in front of them and not let them, you know, not let Tennessee score in, in five seconds on a – a 50-yard bomb down the field just because somebody broke loose. I think I think that's one area of the game that's going to be different besides in the trenches with Chris Rodriguez, who's going to try to rush the football and they're going to try to eat up clock. Yeah, and and that's kind of the the narrative of how Kentucky stays in the game is running clock. But uh, to me, I've got a I'm trying to find 24 to 28 points by them in this game if that's what they're going to do. If they're just going to run <sighs> clock and run you know 10 yards and. Uh, three carries and, and just try to move the cha- move the chains. It's going to take more than well, that with, with Tennessee. Well, playing keep away from Tennessee, I mean, that can only work for so long. And, and look, I think Kentucky is a, a damn good football team. Um, I, I know what the losses look like, but if you go back and look at the Ole Miss game, I mean, they're, they're one crazy play at the end of being, you know, false start, having a touchdown, probably beating Ole Miss. You know, Will Levis fumbles the ball, too. But then, you know, you look at the Mississippi State game, they didn't have Will Levis. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But, oh, I'm sorry, South Carolina game, they didn't have uh, Will Levis. But I'm, I'm not just kind of overlooking what they've accomplished and what their losses because I think there's reasons why. So I think it's going to be a tough matchup for Tennessee. I think the line sitting at 12 and a half, 13 right now, right? I kind of feel like that's a little bit high. I could see Tennessee winning by a touchdown, 10 points on Saturday night. Don't you think, though, Tennessee would have to do something uncharacteristic based on the way they played this year to lose this game? And I, I would point to Pitt and say, based on every other game, that game's pretty uncharacteristic uh, for Tennessee with the looking the way the rest of the season has gone. I feel like they would really have to get out of character, and Hendon Hooker would have to be a lot worse than he's been in order to lose this game at home. Which is I mean, Hendon would have to. Well, yeah, which is possible. Yeah, Kentucky's coming down here and beat Tennessee. I mean, this is their uh, this is their Super Bowl. As I make fun of something that I saw yesterday uh, on Twitter, um, but I, I, I think overall, looking at it, yeah, if, look, Hendon Hooker would have to come out and throw two interceptions and only throw for a buck thirty, you know, and, and twenty yards on the ground for me to think this Tennessee offense won't be successful. Uh, Saturday night. I just feel like they have so many weapons and the addition of Tillman, which I think you're going to see Tillman in pads on Saturday. Now, if he plays, that's a completely different story, but I think you're going to see him suited up. Uh, and if he can give it a go when they ask him pregame, hey man, can you go? You think you can? If he says yes, good luck trying to cover Brew McCoy, Jalen Hyatt, Mel Keaton, and Cedric Tillman. Am I crazy to think that the cocktail party has the potential to be wild, uh, given these two teams, given the record spread we've seen with Georgia favored over Florida, that there's just something about this, Billy Napier in year one, that I feel like it's going to be a lot closer than people expect? I'm actually excited for this game. I mean, I know it's sitting at 22 and a half points in Georgia's favor, but I look at this game and I've seen stuff in the past where you're like, okay, Florida's going to get destroyed or... You know, in the pass pass, Georgia's going to get beat up by Florida, and it turns out to be a really good game. Um, I think Florida's going to have something up their sleeve for Georgia this weekend. I, I think this thing could potentially be pretty close heading into the fourth quarter. Now, I think Georgia 
scoots away with their running game, you know, towards the back end of the game. But I think overall, you know, Florida and Anthony Richardson, you know, they're going to test Georgia's defensive line and linebackers. And I think that's where we get a good game out of this. I, you know, it's hard for me to think Georgia's going to win by 22 points over Florida um, when, when we look at it. But, you know, this is that game. You guys know, throw the record books out. Anything can happen in Jacksonville. And, and I think that's what makes it intriguing, even though the point spread, you know, is what it is. I mean, we saw Texas A&M was what? They were 20-something point underdogs last year to Alabama, beat them. We've seen this time and time again this season where we thought games wouldn't be worth watching 20 minutes of that we're stuck to for three hours. So bring on the craziness in Jacksonville. Got to love Lane Kiffin. He's got another line this time for Texas A&M in his press conference where talking about losing DJ Dirk and his defensive coordinator at A&M, he says, yeah, we really wanted to keep him. But, you know, we were outbid, which is pretty common against that school in a number of areas, getting outbid. Um, everyone is just shoveling dirt on the grave of Jimbo Fisher right now. Lane Kiffin, no exception, even coming after off a bad performance. Uh, what do you think about the matchup? Because I do feel like, Trey, Texas A&M's strength lines up well with Ole Miss's strength, which is running the football. They are a good run defense. They've got a good defense. Can A&M keep this thing low scoring enough where they're going to have a chance to pull it off at home? If, if Ole Miss is healthy on defense, I think this is going to be, uh, I don't want to say a struggle for Texas A&M. Here's the problem. Texas A&M has not proven to me again that they can do anything on oh, offense. Everything's and a struggle I, on offense. I'm, I'm asking, can they keep it low scoring enough with Ole right. Miss to win it 16-13 to 13 or something like and I that? I think that's – Similar to the Kentucky Ole Miss game, right? It was, I think, 22-19 was the final. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Look what, look what LSU did with Jackson Dart uh, down in Baton Rouge. That's what, that's what Texas A&M is going to have to do, and, and, and especially the running game, you know, with Zach Evans. We'll see if he's a full go. I mean, we can't forget that Zach Evans, one of the most prolific runners in the SEC, in my opinion, just because of the way he plays, is, has missed a few games this year that, that he could have contributed in a major way. Um, I, I just look at Lane Kiffin coming off that loss to LSU. It's kind of like a wake-up call uh, for them. Yes, they aren't, in my opinion, as good as last year. But I still think that they have the talent to go to College Station to make life completely miserable uh, for Jimbo Fisher on Saturday night. And, and the stuff that we've seen come out this week um, has not been good for things in College Station. And, and, and personally, I think Ole Miss wins Saturday night. I think that Jackson Darden gets enough done. Uh, he outduels whoever is lined up at quarterback for Texas A&M because I don't trust a single one of them right now at the moment. And uh, we're going to wake up Sunday morning, Jonathan, Chad, and Paul, and uh, we're going to have more questions for Jimbo Fisher, and his seat will get even warmer, in my opinion. Arkansas at 4-3 and three going to Auburn. How much can – can uh, Arkansas still come out of this season feeling like it's lived up to to what everybody was saying about it heading into the season? I mean, credit the Razorbacks for going to BYU and putting up 50-plus points um, when they were riding a three-game losing streak. Um, no, but I, I think this would be an interesting matchup just because 11 a.m. kickoff, Arkansas-Auburn, um, the games usually produce – you're looking at K.J. Jefferson. Uh, you, you can have Robbie Ashford, at quarterback for Auburn. And this is one of those games where Brian Harson really needs to win. I don't think it matters one bit 
when it comes to whether he's going to be the coach or not next season. Um, but if Auburn is going to keep players at that school when all this stuff is going on, they need to start winning. And they need to get they need to grab a win like Arkansas. They do. We've seen what? I think it's my math has been wrong because it's been a long week. Two players have entered the portal this week. Um, and then they've lost offensive linemen. So I think Arkansas shows up ready to play. I think Arkansas, I mean, I'm sorry, Auburn is going to try to run the football down their throat. And uh, we'll we'll see which team prevails. But but Saturday, it should at least start the day off in an interesting manner. So Shane Beamer's really feeling himself right now. You know, he's talking trash to Mark Stoops after the game, saying he said something about wearing uh, silly-looking glasses and dancing around and decides to do it. Post-game after they beat A&M and the, the week of, he's saying, you know, hey, I had a reporter, one of you guys out there asked me if my team was going to quit when we were one and two. Well, how about now? We've won four in a row and done this and that. And then I look up at what Vegas sees from South Carolina, and I see, Trey, they're a three-and-a-half-point home favorite over three and four Missouri, a team that had a hard time putting Vandy away at home on Saturday. That tells me Vegas is basically saying these two teams are dead even because of three points for home field in South Carolina. What do you think of this game? This feels big, especially for Eli Drinkwitz in this game to get a, a, a big win on the road, but South Carolina with their schedule... I mean, they're a win. If, if they take care of business in games, they're favorite. They're a win at Florida away from having two losses when they play Tennessee at home, the second to last week of the season, which is crazy to imagine when they were one and two. I, with all the hype coming into South Carolina into the season, you know, I was like, okay, I'm interested in this offense with Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner and whatnot. And, you know, correct. Look, here's the thing, too. Like, Shane Beamer's having a good time, man. They've won four straight. It feels like last season when they defeated uh, Florida and then they defeated Auburn. And you're like, huh, okay, this is an interesting football team. Like, that's what it feels like right now, where they went through a horrible spell. They had to play Georgia. They went to Arkansas and lost early in the season against K.J. Jefferson. And Arkansas was playing really well. They weren't beat up either at the time. And then you just look at South Carolina where they come out, they're up 17 to nothing before I can even turn the channel onto the game. And, and you're like, okay, maybe this squad is for real. And when I say for real, I'm talking middle of the pack, SEC East, but can beat you if you're not ready type of team. And I just feel like South Carolina, yeah, they're not getting much out of the offense, but they're getting a lot out of the defense and special teams and, I tend to agree with you about Missouri. I, they need a win. And I'm talking like a decent win, not a, a win over Vanderbilt, which we were close, by the way, Chad, last weekend of getting if Vanderbilt just wouldn't have screwed up in the fourth quarter. Um, but I think overall, this is one of those games where don't let it be a trap. You know, don't buy into what you're, you know, you're throwing out there. You're on a four-game win streak, you know, beat Missouri. Five games, you'll probably be 19th in the country, 20th in the country. I don't know. Whoever loses, and you got a program that's on the roll, roll right now. And uh, if we get to that point in November where, you know, I don't know, let's just say number three Tennessee is traveling to number 18 South Carolina with only two losses on their schedule, trust me, I will not have had that on my bingo card to enter the season. So let's talk about. South Carolina's next opponent after this game and, and Vanderbilt? Because you mentioned the close call at Missouri. 
But they've got a 25-game yeah. SEC losing streak. And I look around, and I like what Clark Lee has to say about everything. But it is so difficult to find hope for, for Vanderbilt football. And, and what I mean by that is they have no fans going to games. How do you keep guys truly engaged and interested in today's world where they can go anywhere else and play right away? The number one challenge to me for Clark Lee is to keep his current roster coming back. They did get over. To try to find guys that will come back and the young guys that will stay in the program. Then they've got a shot because they'll eventually get old and they can win some games. But how difficult is that when you look at the current state of things for Vanderbilt? I mean, it's, it's deflating for them. I've been talking with a few folks around that program over the last few weeks. Um, yeah, it's, it's deflating because let's not forget about this as well. You, you kind of mentioned that a little bit. You've got other teams reaching out to players on Vanderbilt squad that they've seen, and, oh, okay, you, you're kind of good. I think you can play in the SEC. You've proven yourself against other squads. Uh, you got that going on behind the scenes. You got a team that, yes, nobody is showing up to, to support them. And look, I, I don't I don't blame Vanderbilt fans for not showing up to that stadium and watching the product. But they are trying to build something over there with the you know, new additions to the stadium and how they're you know going to make the end zones and whatnot. And I think that's a great idea. But right now, when you have a team like Vanderbilt that's struggling the way they are, man, and trying to gain support around the community, he, he just he's got a tough time. And and I don't know what they do and how they do it. Whenever they get their first SEC win it will feel like winning a national championship probably for them. Um, and that's okay. But the, the, when people think maybe Vanderbilt can get back to where they were under James Franklin, I just shake my head because that, that was just one of those once-in-a-lifetime lightning-in-a-bottle type deals. And I just don't know if Vanderbilt ever gets back to that point, guys. Follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. You can read his work at Outkick.com. Trey, thank you as always, man. Enjoy the football weekend. Enjoy the game on Saturday. And we look forward to uh, recapping it all with you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Appreciate you having me. There's Trey Wallace. Thanks. Joins us weekly on Thursdays here on the show. Armando Salguero will be with us in about 30 minutes or so. Looking forward to that. Michael McHenry joins us in just over 15 minutes from now. We'll preview the World Series when we come back. Paul takes a look at the divisions across the NFL and tells us which divisions are most intriguing to not at all. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Thirty minutes from right now, Armando Salguero will be with us. We'll talk NFL headlines, news, and notes. The NFL trade deadline next Tuesday. We've got Week Eight, which kicks off tonight. Buccaneers hosting the Ravens. We'll preview that and much more. Michael McHenry previews the the, the World Series. I nearly said the Super Bowl. The World Series with Same us. Same thing. 
Uh, not the same thing. <laughs> what if we... Uh, uh, come, coming up in uh, 10 minutes with us. What if someone just tuned in for the first time and they're like, this sports show doesn't know the difference between the Super Bowl and a World Series. This is the first of its kind. Uh, that tracks. Yeah. That tracks. Uh, back to football, though, for the next uh, five, six minutes or so. Paul, um, at outkick.com right now, your column... You're taking a look at the the intrigue among the the divisions across the NFL, and you gave us a rating on them. Yeah, well, I stacked them in order. So uh, I was thinking, you know, some of the football hasn't been great, as we've discussed, but uh, some of these division battles stack up to be pretty good. I, I think, number one, uh, I, I hope you guys agree. I, I think you might not. Hutton. Mm. To, number one to me is the AFC East. Um, I, I think the Bills probably run away with it, but you've got three teams there fighting. The Jets and the Dolphins, particularly intriguing because they've struggled for, for so long and they had big off-seasons that we talked about a lot uh, where they tried to surround their young quarterbacks with talent. I find them both intriguing. And then the Patriots struggling, trying to figure out who their quarterback is and trying to fight with teams they used to dominate to get in there for the second or maybe third playoff spot. I find a lot of intrigue and a lot of good storylines in that division. I think that's the most compelling NFC for East, me. The other? I hope forward. the other East is second. Yeah, because I would have NFC East is second. I, I would have flipped East, yeah. Yeah, but I, I understand but your argument with AFC East. Well, I, just on last place alone, uh, the commanders to me are not interesting at all. And the Patriots have a ton of, of intrigue just at quarterback alone. Um, so, yeah, it's, the, it's got the most wins. Also, I think the Cowboys will ultimately blow it, which is intriguing, but repetitive. It's going to be really, really tougher than the blow it until they get to, like, the divisional round of the playoffs. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, their defense is that good. Mike McCarthy, by the way, has only had one top 10 defense, top five defense in his career until this year. So he's always had to, you know, post 30 plus, and now he can post 24 and win. I got the NFC West third. Seahawks, obviously one of the two biggest breakout stories of the year. Rams at a meager three and three, major crossroads, but not showing great signs of life. 49ers, who we all think has a chance to to win not just the NFC West, but the NFC. And a huge gamble with McCaffrey. And and the cards, you know, at three and four, but the, the conversation there is about Cliff Kingsbury being the guy with the best odds of being the next coach fired and just the second coach fired after after Matt Rule. The McCaffrey move is big there. Can can the Ram, the Rams are probably making a move? But we also want to know if they could figure out a big move that they made in the offseason with Allen Robinson. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's the best football going on by any means, but there, there's a lot of uh, intrigue there. And um, I, I had the NFC South fourth. The Falcons, I mentioned this, I made reference to this yesterday. The Falcons have $78.5 million of dead cap money this year. $78.5 million. And they have the same record as the Buccaneers, be it, albeit the three and four record. One of those teams came into this season expected to perhaps run away with the NFC. And the other, some people would have said, would have contended for the number one pick in the draft. And they are in, uh, the Falcons have lost two games in the division, so they've got some ground to make up. Their two best wins are against Seattle 
and uh, San Francisco. I think I, something we know and others are finding out, <clears throat> Arthur Smith can coach. Yeah. Well. $78.5 million of dead a, money. Imagine when they've got of, very little dead money next year. So there's a bit of cloak and dagger here. They trailed 20, by 21 points last week, and Mariota attempted 14 passes in the game. 21 quick out of the gate against Cincinnati, and they only attempted 14 passes. They're, they've won some games, but... They're running 33 I, times I, a game. Their, their defense can't rush the passer. I mean... Oh, they've got a lot of is, problems. Yeah. But so do, so do the Bucs. The Bucs are averaging, and you've emphasized this. I just don't their like root, teams that can only win one way. Their root problem in Tampa Bay is that they can't run. Guess what their running average is a game? Like just over three yards per carry. They're 64.4 yards a game. That's bad. Worst in the league. And, and that's a foundational problem, we yes. know. I mean, you don't have to be a running football the team. You've got to find some Bottom. bounce last. Dead last. <laughs> so there, there's no intrigue. Right. No, I mean, the right. Titans are winning the division. The only intrigue comes as to whether they can win a damn playoff game. <laughs> We've said this. I've said this a lot. I mean, the Titans' intrigue to me, there was very little, you know, only a little bit of question coming into the season. I thought they'd probably end up in a place where their season starts in January. Can they win a home playoff game with Ryan Tannehill? I've been saying that since last January when they yeah, lost. I we kind of said it the week after the game. With him, you're going to be out. in the same spot. And that's why I say you can't run it back with them again if it's just, oh, we made it to playoffs. Hooray. And it'll be three years in a row that they lose right. a home playoff game conceivably if they lose this one and if they win it it's not going to be because of Brian Tannehill we wouldn't think AFC, check it out AFC North a bit underrated like too just because everyone's bunched together we'll, we'll hit this later I've with Armando and much more Fair. coming up World Series discussion Michael McHenry looks into the numbers for us that's next on Outkick 360